to episode 164 of the Twim Show. This is your host Sajid Islam and today I'm going over the notable news and updates in the digital marketing space from the week of June 5 through 9th, uh, 2023. With that, let's jump in. Today, first off, we have an update on Google and actually our this episode, we are going to have a lot of updates on Google just, just because uh, Google recently had their SEO office hours, so a lot of information came out of it. Number one, uh, one question came up, hey, Google, uh, you know, when I, you, there is a, you know, obviously schema validator from schema.org and you have your own uh, schema validator, a structured data validator, which is also a schema validator. Uh, but, you know, sometimes I get something that's okay in schema.org, but not on Google's uh, tool and vice versa what's going on to with that to that google's martin split answered look schema.org uh, or the schema markup validator at schema.org is basically to it checks if the structured data is valid according to the official standards okay uh, it's an you know schema.org schema.org is an open and vendor independent entity that defines data type and attributes for structured data Google as a vendor, however, have specific requirements for some attributes and types in order to use a structured data in product features such as our rich results in Google search. So while just leaving out some attributes or using some type of values for an attribute is fine with schema.org, vendors such as Google and others might have some more specific requirements in order in order to use the structured data you provide to actually enhance features and products. So I hope that last sentence, uh, while it was quite long, answers your question in terms of what the two differences are and what you should be following for your site. If you had to ask me, I would say, you know, you rather have it all checked right from Google's point of view because you want your site to be indexed by Google. Uh, you know, schema, whether it, you know, conforms to the industry standard or not, that doesn't really help you with any SEO or organic results. With that, let's jump into the next point uh, for this week. Uh, so Google has updated the search console's results for video index indexing. Uh, so what that does in the past, uh, Google would just throw an error on uh, the search console report that says, you know, very generically, Google could not identify the prominent video on the page. Now, you know, obviously that could mean anything and that had people uh, or webmasters, site owners scratching their head. Now, Google is saying, you know, we're going to come in and say three different things. One is video, video is outside the viewport. What that means is if your video is not is not fully visible when the page load, uh, you need to reposition it. Make sure that the entire video lies within the rendable area of the web page. That's one. Number two is video is too small. If your video is smaller than the desired, you should increase the size. The height should exceed at least 140 pixel and the width should be greater than 140 pixel and should constitute at least one third of the page width. So that's the measurement. Again, if you did not uh, catch it, go ahead and read the show notes page because you are going to hear get that over there. And the third thing you want is the video is too tall. If the video is taller than 1080p or 1080 pixels, it's time to resize it. Decrease the height and that should help. So these are the three things uh, Google is now going to point out if you're, uh, you know, uh, in, in, a, in, 
slew of that generic error that Google used to throw out in the past. Now, let's go to the next point of this week, which is navigating uh, the world of domains. We talked about domains last week where we said .ai is no longer uh, Anguilla-specific domains. It's considered a global domain, right? Global domains are GTLDs. Uh, country code domains are called CCTLDs. Now, that question again, you know, obviously uh, gave birth to other questions. And this week, you know, people asked John Mueller, hey, uh, can you clarify when we should use what, right? And John Mueller basically said, look, yeah, we understand why we renamed .ai or we classified .ai from, you know, country CCTLD to GTLD just because, you know, .ai is so prominent nowadays, right? And GTLDs with the global uh, domain, top level domain names like .com, .store, .net, uh, usually kind of specifies as a high level. Like our company Market and Grow, it's marketandgrow.com now. What Mueller is saying, look, if you if you see a CCTLD like .nl for Netherlands or .de for Germany, someone looking at marketandgrow.de would probably say, you know what, they, they don't cater to my business. So Mueller is saying, look, uh, it's it's not one size fits all. You need to understand what you're doing. So if you are going to look for a domain called marketandgrow.com and it doesn't exist, and now you say, hey, marketandgrow.com.de or not marketandgrow.de exist is open is available like that and we will try to rank for .com it doesn't really work that way that's all Mueller is saying you want to basically figure out your strategy maybe it makes sense for you to take up a .net or a .store or another change the name to mkt and or something like that you know I think I hope you get the point the point here being is that what kind of CCTLD or GTLD you use may have an impact on how an end user perceives your business and that may lead to click through, a higher click through, a lower click through, right? Um, other than that, yeah, so these are all strategic things like, you know, but other than that, you know, also, you know, again, I covered this last week and again, we're going to say avoid using generic uh, TLDs, which are cheap and as well as also related to a lot of spammy sites. Uh, so stay away from those. And if you don't remember what that is, go ahead and check out the previous episode. Next up, <clears throat> Google's verdict on impact of security headers on search headings. Wow, that's pretty loaded. What does that mean? So usually we know uh, HTTP versus HTTPS and we know back in the time when Google was kind of forcing everyone, nudging everyone to go to HTTPS. They said, you know, if you use, if your site uses HTTPS, we're gonna give you, you know, uh, more, uh, I guess we, it's gonna influence ranking. Now, obviously came out a topic of HSTS. HSTS stands for HTTP Strict Transport Security. Uh, so let me allow me to break it down for you what this basically means you know when a web browser your browser talks to a server say dot whitehouse.gov or cnn.com or fox.com uh, it's talking to a server and they use a protocol called http that was the initial days of you know internet uh, and they you talk through each other and they would be like hey we are talking the common language then of course with that came in the man in the middle attack and they're like, you know what, someone sitting in between uh, your browser and the server, which is whitehouse.gov in our example, could actually listen to what we are talking about, what we are exchanging and could kind of, you know, interject 
and you know kind of eavesdrop and listen or kind of you know do whatever it is you want to do so came the HTTPS protocol, which is, you know, well, end-to-end -end encryption, right? Which is, you know, hey, uh, my browser is going to talk to the web, ser web server, which is whitehouse.gov in this example, and everything is going to become encrypted so that if there is a, someone trying to eavesdrop, would not be able to hear or inject or change the message back and forth or anything like that. So now what happens, so that's the history of HTTP and HTTPS. Now what happened is some browsers would talk to a server and the server or request it in an insecure format, HTTP like the old days or some, and then you know the server would say, hey, hang on, don't talk to me in HTTP, let me, re let me redirect you to HTTPS and talk to me like that way. So that's how it came, the redirecting and things like that, but however that opens up uh, door to some uh, security issues and you know there are some hacking issues and all these other things I don't want to get you alarmed but I just want to say that is what it is there are some you know obviously and the best practice is to turn on HSTS HSTS is like it's just basically saying hey we do not talk to HTTP no matter what it has to always talk to us in the secure encrypted format period. So the question arises, like, hey Google, if we en enable and use HSTS, will that give us uh, more, will that influence ranking and give us more SEO juice? And the answer is no, you, we do not. Uh, you know, Google doesn't use that anymore. Uh, what you want to do is you still want to turn on HSTS because it is much more secure. Um, no one can eavesdrop, no one can do any foul play. And it's just a better, you know, way to build trust uh, with your visitors, users, clients, whatever it is. So I hope that helps. I know it kind of dragged on a little bit, but I wanted you to understand the what HTTP, HTTPS, and where HSTS comes into play. Uh, with that, let's jump into the uh, next topic. The next topic is on index bloat, right? Uh, again, this is a very interesting topic where, you know, people had said, you know, hey, if you have a website where, and this is primarily, if you look at any government website, you will see they have the web page, and on the web page, they have, you know, the web page view, and then you have the printer friendly format. You can click on it and it's going to go to a printer friendly format. And there are some theories in the SEO world that says, hey, if you have that, it's going to cause an index bloat and it's not good for your SEO and blah, blah, blah. And basically the long story short is that that is not true. Uh, this is not going to affect your uh, crawl budget. Uh, this is not going to, there is, according to John Mueller, there is no a concept called index bloat at Google because uh, Google does not set an arbitrary limit on the number of index pages per site. Uh, but you know, if you remember, there is a say, there is a thing in a crawl budget how many pages Google will index in per visit, and that's going to increase over time. So even though Google doesn't say we can only index like fifty thousand pages per site. Uh, which kind of makes sense, uh, but they're not going to crawl like, you know, 50,000 pages or 100,000 pages in one visit. They're going to slowly build it up, build up to that, okay? And go John Miller's advice to everyone out there is like, you know, focus on creating pu uh, and publishing useful content. And folks, if you've been listening to this show for a while, you know, it's, I sound like a broken record and John Miller sounds like a broken record, but this is has always been the case. Produce and publish useful content, helpful content. Okay. Uh, now let's see, what's this update? Now the update is, can you prevent Google bot from crawling certain parts of a web page 
uh, or preventing Googlebot from accessing from a website completely. Well, we know we can do that from our robots.txt page, but the it's interesting twist is can you tell uh, Googlebot to crawl maybe the first half of the page and not the second half? And Mueller says, well, you might be able to play that trick using JavaScript and everything, but I would he was saying, don't do that, just because if there is an error, you would never be able to figure out where the error is coming from, and you're just gonna be in a spinning cycles. Uh, so figure out, do you really want your pages to be indexed? If so, make everything you want there to be indexable. If not, just block off that page from robot.txt. I think that's what the gist is, as I understand, after I read this thing. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I'm also not a big fan of, you know, having some sections that are, you know, some sections of a page that are indexable and others are not, maybe put it behind a different URL and so kind of split it off, things like that, put it behind a login prompt. There are ways around it. Uh, I just don't think you want to play around and with the Google bot in that way. Okay. Next up. Uh, Google is Google Ads is changing uh, their trademark policy starting July 24th. Google will only entertain trademark complaints that are filed against specific advertisers and their ads. This is a shift away from the current policy where complaints can lead to an industry-wide restrictions on using trademark content. Uh, the change is a response to feedback from ad advertisers who found the previous system frustrating due to overflagging and broad blocks. The new policy aims to streamline resolutions, making, uh, making them quicker and more straightforward. In addition, it will provide greater cl clarity and a transparency for advertiser advertisers, a much needed improvement for many uh, that have been advocating for. So what this all breaks down is like now, if you are a big bad wolf company, let's just say the record industry, uh, Sony Music, and you cannot just say, hey, someone is using my name Sony in their ads, just like, you know, you have to be specific. Such and such advertiser is using the name, so it's just very much more targeted. So for someone who is trying to defend their trademark, it's just going to get more expensive and more costly uh, to find ex every uh, instance of it. From Google's perspective, you know, if an ad doesn't run, Google doesn't make revenue and Google is under a lot of pressure. So that's kind of where I think Google is coming from. Um, when was the last time you saw Google or Facebook really do something for anyone out of the goodness of their heart right it all ties down to their bottom line which is good in this case because uh, you know i have been a victim of this overflagging as well and it's just like a painful process not that i'm advocating that you know you should go abuse trademarks but i think this is good okay next up uh this is will your seo be unaffected affected whether it's positively or negatively if you have double menus and the answer is no this was answered by Gary Elias and that says it's highly unlikely that multiple multiple navigation menus would have any impact on your website SEO. In other words, whether you have one, two, or even more navigation menus on your web page, Google's algorithms are sophisticated enough to recognize these elements and process them accordingly. So rest easy and design your website to best serve your audience. And remember, whether your navigation is on your top, left, bottom of your page, Google's got it, figured it out. Okay, let's jump to the next update. Uh, this is about XML. Uh, so what's going to happen? Uh, XML sitemap. Google's Gary Lesk again reaffirmed that the tech giant is diligent about scanning XML, XML sitemaps before updates before launching the reprocessing protocol. <laughs> Excuse me. 
this practice is rooted in the desire to conserve valuable computational resources by avoiding unnecessary processing of unchanged files right so xml sitemaps are very important uh, that's all i want you to take away from this uh, so anytime you make changes to your articles make sure you are republishing your xml sitemap uh, we have talked about this in the past in one of our old episodes where you know what are the certain uh, metadata you should be using last update and what warrants what i'm not going to go in deep into it because there are a lot more updates in these episodes and i don't want this episode to be in one hour episode okay um uh, but yeah, you need to have whether in the URL, you just need to have the last mod um, because the last mod will trigger a new round of parsing and general initiate reprocessing. And if I, oh, I need to mention this before I move away from this topic. If a URL is deleted from the sitemap because it no longer exists, it doesn't seem, it doesn't imply that it will instantly be removed from the index or prioritized for crawling to expedite its deletion. Keep this in mind when making changes to your sitemap. So that's what, uh, just because you deleted the sitemap doesn't know, does not mean it's going to drop off from the index right away. It's going to take some time. Okay, uh, this is, this is a very interesting topic. Uh, it's called host group. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with it, this is fine. Uh, this is a SEO lingo and this is one of the reasons why I love doing this show because and I also get to learn some of the SEO industries uh, stuff and stay up to date. And, you know, just sometimes it just, you know, in the day-to-day -day things, I keep forgetting things. Okay, so, you know, someone asked Gary Illes, hey, what do I do if there's a host group? So what is a host group? When you, and you will see this sometimes when you will search for a word and you will see the same uh, results from the same site uh, appearing right next to each other, one on one underneath another, and maybe the second one is a little bit indented. So that's called a host group. And what Gary Illes is saying that, you know, this indicates that you have multiple pages capable of ranking well for one particular query. In such cases, uh, Gary Illes recommends you consider, consider, consider the option of uh, console, console, consolidating these pages if feasible, right? Uh, because um, again, it's up to you but the main takeaway is that if you ever do a search and you see like you know uh, results from one website three times in the search results engine space SERP, uh, that's just because it's called a host group and then maybe they're basically they have they could combine these pages if feasible if not they can kind of keep it uh, in three different pages again it depends on what you're trying to do uh, what's your organic SEO strategy um hope this helps you gives you some ideas to think if you see that's happening with your website maybe you want to say do i really want a visitor to click on three pages to find the answer can i kind of give it to them in the same page maybe maybe not if they're three different distinct uh pages i mean which one do you want them to click on right uh, people are going to jump back and forth things like that Okay, uh, let's go to the next one. Uh, unlocking video thumbnails in Google search results. Um, so what's happening is uh, Gary Les is saying that video, they're not saying video must be the first element on your page, uh, but it says the video should be immediately noticeable and should be in their face right away. This user-centric approaches approach enhances the user experience, eliminating the need for them to hunt the video on the page. 
Gary Les en encourages web developers and SEO experts to consider the user's perspective. When visitors land on your page, they should not have to actively search for the video. It should be prominently displayed next to, akin to the approach of a popular video platforms like Vimeo and YouTube. Remember, the aim of these changes is to reduce conf confusion and streamline the user experience by ensure. Let me see, what did I miss? By ensuring that the videos are easy to find and view. Uh, Okay, um, basically, basically what Google is saying that if you have uh, video thumbnails in, uh, Google is putting video thumbnails in search results, uh, but basically uh, Google is saying, you know, hey, if you want your thumbnails to be shown up, you need to make sure video is the first element on your page, uh, because if not, you know, and it doesn't have to be first first, but it has to be right on the top. Like, you know, it has to be easy to be find, identified, then Google's probably gonna pull it out. <laughs> Okay, uh, for Microsoft N, finally we're done with Google and let's go to Microsoft. Microsoft is now um, supporting conversion cross-device attribution modeling. So what this, what with this new feature, if a customer clicks on an ad on their laptop and later completes a purchase on their phone, Microsoft Advertising will attribute the conversion to the original ad click on the laptop. This development will ensure that your marketing efforts are accurately accredited regardless of the device where the conversion ultimately occurs. This is interesting, right? Uh, again, my, how will Microsoft figure out, you know, I started on my laptop, moved into um, my mobile. I think it's over time, they're gonna kind of maintain maybe by IP address, maybe by device string, fingerprinting, whatever it is, but you know, this is good. So what Microsoft is saying that, you know, if you see an uptick in the number of conversions reported in your performance metrics, this could probably be the reason why, because we have turned on cross device attribution modeling. Okay. Uh, the other thing you want to know about Microsoft ads is that starting August 1st, Microsoft advertising will be implementing a new policy to enhance transparency and security. Only ads from verified advertisers will be displayed on the platform. If you haven't uh, yet met the Microsoft ads verification requirements, it's crucial to complete them before August 1st to ensure your ads continue to run smoothly. Uh, the Microsoft Advertisers uh, Identity Verification Program was launched last year, June 2022. And, you know, as of July 1st, all new advertisers must be verified before the ads can go live. Uh, if you haven't received an email from Microsoft about account verification by July 15th, you should reach out to Microsoft support. And obviously, starting August 1st, all Microsoft advertising will exclusively uh, display ads from verified advertisers. Okay. And once verified, all ads will showcase the business name and location of the advertisers. Uh, the business or individual responsible funding the ad, additional information explaining why a user is seeing specific ad, including targeting parameters. I love that. This is like Facebook ads library. Google has one as well, ad transparency. Hey man, uh, this is awesome. Okay, uh, next up. <clears throat> LinkedIn uh, now is supporting DMs to pages, company pages, similar to what we have seen in Facebook. Uh, that's all it all this is all jumped boiling down to is like you know the world people like to message businesses and there are a lot of more people on uh, LinkedIn nowadays than there were before and it's growing so LinkedIn just basically decided to copy a feature from Facebook pages is all I can you know summarize it into um, but you know and they obviously LinkedIn has their own fluff around it uh, or why they're doing it and blah 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 but it's all basically boils down to you know it's a pretty good it's a pretty good thing if you ask me 
now but the problem is on my end we are a small business so now we have other another page to check another inbox to check and you know it's just a headache is all i will tell you okay last update of this week is obviously this week we had the apple's uh www worldwide developers conference wwdc and apple obviously showed their headset vision pro and whatnot and they also talked about ios 17 and usually we don't talk about uh, apple in our show but i am bringing it up because starting ios 17 and mac os sonoma uh, Apple is basically going to strip out uh, tracking, link tracking uh, automatically from mail, messages and Safari when in private browsing mode. So what this is going to do actually is it's going to ch uh, change, it's going to affect your email opt-in rates or your email open rates, conversions, things like that. The metrics are going to be skewed. Now, uh, basically, now it's not like the end of the world, right? Uh, because, you know, if it, it just allows you to think differently, you know, passing parameters through the URL, UTM parameters and all was always very, you know, it's a very easy way and a very lazy way to track things. And you, there are better ways to track, you know, think opens and closes and things like that. Uh, and I myself don't like to be tracked all the time, you know. But, uh, you know, Apple also understands that it's going to affect our conversions. To, to, so to strike the balance, uh, Apple has also unveiled uh, an alternate method for advertisers to gauge a campaign effectiveness while preserving user privacy. So private click measurement now accessible in Safari private browsing mode enables the tracking of ad conversion metrics without disclosing individual user activity. So probably it's going to kind of play like how Apple's uh, uh, there's a location feature where, you know, I can open uh, in my phone, I can open emails and it's just going to show the generic location of Apple server, not my individual location where my email was open from. Uh, so again, Apple's, uh, this iOS 17 shows their, their focus towards privacy. And as a marketeer, you need to keep figuring it out. How are we going to track conversions? And, you know, are we going to still continue to use what's easy and lazy way of measuring? Or do we need to kind of, you know, amp up um, and kind of figure out more intelligent way to open things, right? Again, things like mail open rates, mail is not really a great uh, metric to begin with. I mean, and I'm using that as an example because there could be other ones as well. It's just the first, top for one, first one that comes to my mind. Uh, but uh, you should not be for uh, you should be tracking other things okay with that folks that's it for this week in marketing now you know everything to be in the know until next week take care bye bye